Yeah, why don't you come up and read Matthew 26, 6 through 13. 6 through 13? Yes, sir. Yeah, have, have anybody ever seen the movie? It's a real spiritual movie. It's called The Water Boy. <laughs> you ever seen that? Yeah. Well, you know how the mom always says things are the devil? Well, the phone is the devil. <laughs> I try to stay away from it as much as possible. Uh, all right. So verse uh, 6, you said. So now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up with an alabaster flask, a uh, very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head. Um, and he reclined at the table, as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say unto you, whenever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask you to speak to Pastor Chris. And simultaneously open our ears, open our spiritual eyes to see the truth of these, these words of this passage and what you would have us hear for our mm. lives. In Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I was overseas for about 10 days, 11 days. And uh, this is what was missing. I knew something was missing. <laughs> I was overseas for about 10 days, 11 days. And um, thanks for your prayers. Uh, we were at a, <clears throat> two conferences, one in Ukraine uh, with our Ukrainian churches and one in Poland with all of our churches in Europe. And uh, it was just a phenomenal time. It was just such a blessed uh, time just seeing fruit and uh, people that have gotten saved um, and what God is doing throughout Europe. It's such a, we had about, about a thousand people at the conference in Warsaw. Uh, many greetings from people there that you have not yet met. Uh, some people said that they want to come here and move to Houston. Isn't that cool? <laughs> from Europe. That's pretty cool. It's like, wow. So that could actually happen. Um, and uh, I think everyone saw on Facebook the pictures. We, at the beginning of the conference, uh, there was a guy there that he was Polish and his wife was from Azerbaijan, which is just north of Iran. She was saved, but he wasn't saved. And I just started talking with him and I realized this guy does not know Christ. He does not, has not received Christ as his personal savior. He was Catholic. Yet at the same time, he had so many questions about, about God, about the gospel. And um, as we just talked and talked, and he was so open. And I said, uh, have you ever made a decision in your life? Have you ever acknowledged Christ? Have you ever believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And he said, he says, I have not. And so we, did, we talked. And another 
25 minutes went by. We were talking at a lot of questions. And then I said, well, let me pray with you and, let, let, and, and, I, and just receive Christ right now. And so we bowed our heads. Uh, we prayed and he received Christ as his personal savior. And maybe he was even saved before he prayed the prayer because he believed on Christ. And, and afterwards, the change that took place was amazing. I think it was, was one of these once in a 20-year type of salvation. It was just amazing. And uh, he, was, um, he said, I struggled with so much guilt. I struggled with so much fear. Uh, he's a real tall guy, very smart, Polish, European, uh, graphics artist. And every day he would come up to me at, during the conference. He would just share with what God's doing. He said, I sense the nearness of God. I sense the peace of God. I don't sense the anxiety that I used to have. I don't sense the fear. And every day, and then ever since I've been back here, every day he's been messaging me and we've been talking. And it's just amazing the power of the gospel, the power of the good news of Christ. And this is not just a theology. That This is not just, Easter is not just a season that we celebrate with bunnies and eggs and, and uh, plastic grass. But it's something that is really Jesus rose from the dead. And I just want to hit this topic for a few uh I want to hit this topic for the next couple of weeks, next three weeks, about Easter and about the power of Easter and really about how Jesus is the center of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the center of the gospel. Wednesday night when we were here at the, uh, at the, at the time of the, at the meeting that we had Wednesday night here at 730, uh, we discussed this a little bit and spoke about this. And I just personally am so renewed and so revived and so uh, inspired by what the gospel really means. And I'm just so encouraged. And I just want to share this with you. Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13, that Michael just read. These verses are happening. This is describing a time that happens right after John chapter 11. And John chapter 11, do you remember what happened in John chapter 11? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Do you remember that? Jesus comes, Martha and Mary, uh, their brother is dead. Uh, Jesus had delayed his arrival. Uh, Lazarus is um, in, the, in the tomb. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Charles Spurgeon says that, that Jesus had to use Lazarus's name. He had to call him by name because if he didn't call him by name, the power of the of the word of Christ, everyone in, that, in, in those tombs and in that cemetery would have come forth. So they had to call one person so that not everybody would rise. And so Jesus calls Lazarus. He comes out of the grave. Lazarus is now in John, in John chapter 12, verse 1. And this is where this, this is happening. Jesus is at the table. He's reclining. Lazarus is there, res, risen from the dead. Mar, Mary and Martha are there. Martha is serving. Judas is there, the disciples are there, and then some other guests are there. And so we see this scene where Jesus is at the table. Uh, this, is, this, this takes place after the triumphal entry of Christ, uh, right after the Palm Sunday. And so we're getting this Sunday and next Sunday, we're switching it a little bit. But Jesus is already in within the last week of his death, and he's at the table reclining. And so that is where we are right now. Jesus is eating. And the scene is, and it's so beautiful, this scene, is that Jesus is there and a woman comes in. Matthew's account in Matthew 26 and Mark's account in uh, Mark chapter, I believe it's chapter 4, 
I'm sorry, chapter 14, Mark's account, both accounts do not give the name of who this woman is. It only says that a woman came in and anointed the head of Jesus. John gives the account of her name. And that's very, I think that is very significant because what I want to share here today is that Jesus is the center of the gospel and that Jesus is the head of the gospel. And the only name that we read in Matthew and in Mark is the name of Jesus here. And we, I want to look at that in a second. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, these next few weeks, and I don't know how long this is going to take, but I just want to talk about just the magnificence and the preeminence and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what I just want to talk about. <laughs> so if it takes a year, two years, or the rest of our life, I don't know, but... That's really what I want to focus on. Because who is the main character of the Bible? Jesus. Moses? Paul? You know, I don't know. The apostles? No, Jesus Christ. I think the devil, the devil, the enemy of our soul, wants to put any, wants to put any and all focus on something outside of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And this is where churches, this is where churches, where Christianity, where religions, this is where Married couples, this is where we in our single life as a single person, we, we lose the power and the joy of our salvation when we take our eyes off of Christ. Remember when Peter, and I don't know how this message is going to go. I'm just going to trust God for it. I have a few things I want to say, but remember when Peter is walking on the water, right? Peter's walking on the water, and what's, he's walking on the water as long as he's what? I want to hear back from you guys. It's okay to say amen and get a little excited. We can kind of, you know, it's all right, you know. How many of you have been at the rodeo this week or this month? Okay. Did you get a little excited there? Amen. Okay. <laughs> so we can get excited at a rodeo. Come on, let's get excited at church. Just don't work it out, that's all. When Jesus is not the center of our faith, then we, be, we lose something. You know what the definition of culture is? I was thinking about this this morning, culture. You know what culture is? Tradition and culture. Every family... Every nation, every city, every state has their own culture. Culture is what exists when you take the inspiration and the power out of a community. Community turns into a culture. Isn't that interesting? When you take, and it just, it just hit me this morning, when you take the power and the inspiration and the life and the, and the resurrection out of the church, what do you have? Just another culture. Just a religious culture. Just... And people come in, and you know something, we could have the right name, Evergrace, or whatever grace we want to put on, on a church. You can put all of these, but you know something, if we take Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and the power of the gospel out of a church, out of a nation, out of a religion, what do you have? You have a culture that has no power to change anybody. It's a form of godliness without what? Without the power of it, Okay. This is what I want to talk about these next few weeks, next however long. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 is such a telling verse. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This verse tells me the center of the gospel is not just good news, which we see in just about every commentary, the good news, but it's Jesus Christ. And he is the glory and the image of the Father. Isn't that amazing? 
that Christ is the glory and the image of the Father. As soon as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Such a telling story that as soon as we take our eyes off of the glories and the love and the amazingness of Jesus Christ, what happens? We just begin to be enveloped by our life. We begin to be enveloped and consumed and we begin to drown in the details of our life, don't we? Yeah, we get drowned. We just get, we begin to, um, we begin to be intoxicated by the, by the, uh, the, by the bondages and the addictions of this world system. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 is that the devil wants to blind you and I to the glories of the gospel. So Jesus is the center of the gospel. Now it's very interesting. You ever read the end of Matthew, of these verses that we just read in Matthew 26, and it says that leave her alone for wherever this gospel will be preached. She will be, there will be a, remote, a memorial of her. You know what I think that means? And it just, when I was overseas, it, it just dawned on me as I was praying about that. I was thinking about, you know, because whenever we preach the gospel, it's not always that we hear about that woman, is it? So I'm wondering, what does that mean? I think it means this, is that why was this, why was this so important that this woman anointed Mary, anointed the, the head of Jesus, and then we see in John's account, John chapter 12, verses 1 and on, verses, I think, up to verse 6, that he, she also washes his feet. This is the same thing, the head and the feet. Jesus' head and his feet are anointed. I want to talk about that at some, uh, some other time. But why is that important? That, that Why is there a memorial about her, what she did? Because you know what I think it is? Is that Jesus at the table, reclining with a resurrected Lazarus and a judgmental Judas, Jesus is the center of the gospel. And whenever the gospels preached, the true gospels preached, we're going to find Jesus anointed in the center of the gospel. Amen. Amen. And that's why that's the memorial, is that whenever we hear the gospel, the true gospel of grace, that, and this is the gospel, that we are, much, we are much worse than we could have ever dared to imagine, yet at the same time we are much more loved and so much accepted and so much cared for than we could have ever dared to believe. The gospel is, is that in this very strange paradox of us as sinners saved by grace, living in a perfected, with a perfected nature, that paradox, we find Christ in the middle of it. So the key here, one of the key, ver- one of the key points of this, of this message this morning is that the gospel is not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom. Okay, sometimes we hear, we think of the gospel as something like, okay, well, I, I believe the gospel and then I became saved. And then that's it. I'm going to move on to deeper and more important things. The gospel is just for those that don't know Jesus Christ. The gospel is just the good news. They get saved. Now we're going to go into the more deeper, esoteric, Gnostic teachings of Christianity. But that's not what it is. The the, the gospel is the only way that we make any progress or growth or that is there, it's the only way that we can know God in the gospel of the grace of God. Because the gospel is not just for the unsaved, but it's for us. It's for us every day, for us to preach to ourselves that why we were yet sinners, why we were yet enemies, why we were yet weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Every morning, every morning, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see that, that shocking sight of us. First, I don't know why. It's just first thing that we see in the morning is we need to preach to ourselves the gospel of Christ. We need to preach it that Christ died for you. Christ died for me. 
that God loves me in whatever state I am. And this love, and I just want to make this clear because we don't teach antinomianism here. We don't teach licenses and graces, a license of sin. That grace is so powerful that it just it, it is not content to leave us in the state that we are in. It changes Amen. us. Amen. It changes us. And this is the message that I want us to talk, I want to talk about at some point in the future. Because without a knowledge of our extreme sin, listen to this, the payment of the cross seems trivial. Do you ever look at the cross and say, oh, that's interesting, okay, and then walk away? Without understanding and without Mary, who brings the, the, the flask of oil, and by the way, that was probably something that was from the Far East, maybe even from India. It was so worth, it was so expensive that it was probably um, comparable to someone's 401k retirement plan. It was everything. It meant that that once it was, and that bottle, once it was broken and once that it was opened, it could not be closed. So that it was, whenever it was open, it had to be used all at once. And when it was poured out on Jesus, like when she broke that, there was no turning back. The whole thing had to be poured out on Jesus's head. And when he, when she poured it out on Jesus's head, um, there was two reactions in the room. Remember, there was two reactions in the room. Judas's reaction was, "What a waste!" And you know, I don't know. That is so offensive, isn't it? You know, like somebody gives you an amazing gift, you know, like an awesome gift, a one-time thing, and then someone in the room says, "What a waste!" That could have been given to, you know, the poor down the street, the homeless under, under. Uh, the bridge is in, on 59. And Judas says, what a waste. We see in John chapter 12 that Judas leads the disciples into complaining. They all start complaining. Judas initiates it, but then, then all the disciples in Matthew 26 and John 12 and uh, Mark 14 start to complain about the waste that was poured out on Jesus. Judas never understood the centrality of Jesus because Judas never understood salvation. This is the thing. People go to church. People um, never discover who Jesus Christ is. This, this guy, Tomasz, I was telling you about at the beginning, this Polish guy. He said these, to, these words to me, and they haunt me every day. He said, I'm 30 years old, and I've never heard this gospel. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? See, I've been in the Catholic church. I'm not knocking the Catholic church here. He said, I was just in this church, and I hadn't heard the gospel for 30 years, you know, ever since I was born. Never heard the gospel one time. I said, are you kidding me? Like, you must have heard it. Guys, I've never heard this. Judas never understood the centrality of it and the wonderful, beautiful, beautifulness of who Jesus Christ is. Without a knowledge of Christ's completely satisfying life and death, the knowledge of sin would crush us or move us to deny and repress it. I think this knowledge, it's interesting what people do with truth. When we understand, either by acknowledging our sin or acknowledging our failure, our weakness, or denying it and pushing it away, we can do one of two things with sin. We can either acknowledge it and confess it, and then it's a done deal with God, and receive forgiveness and cleansing in John 1, 7 through 9, or we can deny it. We can push it away, because some people don't know what to do with that truth. They run away from it. They, they deny it. And without an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done completely satisfying through his life and death, the knowledge of sin would crush us or to move us to deny it, to repress it. Take away either the knowledge of sin or the knowledge of grace and people's lives are not changed. 
The only way that a life can be changed is for us to understand two things. That number one, this state that God, I am totally depraved. And I don't have to say much about that this morning. I think, I think we all understand our depravity. And sometimes we just dwell in it so long. And the cross, sometimes people's understanding of the cross is only up to one point where, okay, I'm a depraved sinner. Yes, I'm bad. I'm sin. And that's all their confession is that I'm such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. And that's the first side of the cross. And that's only half. The other side of the cross is resurrection where our sin is paid for and our and our iniquities are paid for and our transgressions are paid for. And then at that moment when we understand the blood was shed for us, then we can understand that resurrection life. So the gospel is not just for somebody who's unsaved. It's for us every day. It's his mercies are new every morning in Lamentations 3 verse 22. Every morning his mercies are new. Mercy means that we are not getting what we deserve. <laughs> we are not getting what we deserve. How many of us have ever gone to court to plead our case? You know, a traffic ticket or whatever and said, plead the mercy of the court. How many have ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. I've done it. And, you know, you're standing there. You're just, this judge can either kill me, like nail me with this fine, or I can be, I can be, I can be, you know, I can be, I can receive mercy and not get what I deserve. Grace means that I get something in my life that I could never, ever qualify for. Something that I could never, ever achieve. The gospel is described in the Bible in the most most astounding terms. Angels desire to look into the grace of God. Angels desire to look into when when Jesus was at the table with his disciples and with Judas. And Mary is pouring the anointing oil on him, on his head. And it's such a beautiful picture of the authority and the headship of Jesus Christ is anointed. You know, leadership in the family, leadership in the marriage, leadership in your own personal life, leading yourself is anointed as being an anointed leader, being an anointed husband, being an anointed father, being an anointed single person where you are leading your life, leading your soul because of the anointing that's in your life, meaning that that this government that God has given you, this free will is anointed and blessed by God. Are we anointed leaders? Maybe I'm just overseeing something small in the church. Maybe I'm just whatever. I know Chris is doing the coffee and he's not here so we can talk about him. He does a great job with the coffee, doesn't he? And he's anointed. He's an anointed guy. And so is every, you know, so I can say this about so many people here. The question I want to ask is, is are we anointed? Are we connected with Christ in our leadership in those areas? And I think that when we are understanding the power of the gospel, the, the beauty of the gospel, then that anointing flows in our life and we see, the, we see Christ displayed. And this is what the angels in 1 Peter 1, 12 want to look into. They're like, because you know, angels have never sinned, right? I mean, God's angels have not sinned. Demons have sinned and they've fallen and they're demons today. But God's angels, and I think also demons look into this too, because angels and demons have never, ever seen the grace of God. They've never needed the grace of God because they've never, ever, they have never been recipients of the grace of God. We can say that God has given them grace in some tolerable way, permissible, permissible grace. But the true grace of God, the true grace of God is something that only you and I as frail human beings can experience. That's amazing. That you and I are experiencing a, an aspect of the nature of God that not even the angelic, powerful, angelic world could ever experience. 
That's why angels desire to look into what's going on in our lives. And so whenever you and I receive the grace of God, live in the grace of God, let the grace of God order our steps, then we have an audience, an angelic audience. Isn't that amazing? And it says here in the Greek that angels take out their notebooks and they start taking notes. Do angels know everything? No, they are not like God. They don't know everything. They are in a process of learning. And that process is going to go on for eternity because angels are created beings. They have a beginning and, and they have no end, but they have a beginning. They're, they're eternal in the sense that they were created. But they weren't created with all knowledge. So they are growing and they are learning about an aspect of the nature of God that cannot be understood only through a display in somebody's personal life, through a, through a person's life receiving, expressing grace. That is why Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 16. And I want us to turn there, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. I know that this verse is very often used to, in a mission sense. Like, I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel or to sell, tell someone that I'm a believer. I'm not ashamed to... Uh, look like a fool and preach on the street or I'm not ashamed to share Christ with someone that I'm intimidated by. That's true here, but it's also more than that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the grace of God means this, that that in Paul's time when he's writing this, Romans chapter 1, there was a lot of pushback from the status quo of the religious establishment pushing back against this new gospel, pushing back against Gentiles getting saved. Actually, there was racism, there was comparisonism, there was just all of these isms that are so anti-grace. And Paul says here, I'm not ashamed. Paul was an extremely educated man, but the gospel was so simple. I remember my dad telling me about how he got saved. My dad had gone... He's an MIT graduate, a Northeastern graduate. He's, he was, uh, into, he was uh, working for a nuclear science. I don't know exactly what he did with it. He was just a, he's a smart guy. And he said to me one time, he said, and for the longest time he wouldn't get saved. Just, my mom got saved, we got saved. My dad just was unsaved and he wouldn't get saved. And he said to me, it's just too simple just to trust and believe. It's just too simple. And that's exactly what this is, that the power, and he got saved, and his life was changed, obviously. I'm not ashamed, Paul said, of the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is, is not only that's the thing that saves us, but it's how we grow in Galatians 3, 1 through 3. It's how we grow in Galatians 3, 1 through 3. It's how we're renewed in Colossians 1, 6. And Galatians 2.14, it's the, it, it's the guide for every step that we take. Uh, Richard Lovelace says that the most, but most people's problems are just a failure to be oriented to the gospel, to the grace of God, a failure to grasp and believe through and through. And so when Paul said, and I want to wrap it up with this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek and verse 17, for in it, for in what? In what? In the grace, the gospel. In, the, in, in it, the righteousness of God is what? 
Revealed from faith to faith. Okay, so let me just break this down. What is the purpose of us getting saved and not being immediately raptured to heaven? Why does God delay the whole thing out? Like, okay, now you're saved, but you're going to wait till you're dead or till the rapture comes. You know, why does God do that? Because there's, this is the point. Because God wants to get that treasure that's in you and I, Jesus Christ, out into a world that is just so lost. Do we live in a lost world or what? <laughs> do we live amongst lost people? We do, don't we? Do we live in a lost neighborhood? How, how's your neighborhood doing? You know, like I live in a neighborhood where everything looks amazing, but people are just really lost. People are really lost. There's a treasure inside of us, and this treasure needs to get out, and God has to break the vessel. And the treasure is this glorious gospel. What is the, what is the vessel, by the way? What is the vessel that God has to break? Is it our physical body? No, it's not. Huh? It's, is it our will? It's our it, it's, is it our heart? It, it, I think that you, you guys have all said parts of, parts of this one. It's, it is the soul. God has to break the will, the heart, the mind. And it's not like that God has to break it, but the, it has to come to the end of itself, to the end of its own understanding. And at that point, when the soul... Because I've seen... I've, I've been to countries where people are poor and they're broken and they're very proud. You can break the human body, but you can still be very, very proud. It's the soul that God wants to bring to the point to the end of itself, to the end of its understanding, to the end of its power to make decisions, to the end of its own will, and to the point where we say, okay, God, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. And at that point, that is when the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, the power of God is not just, the gospel is not just power to do something. The gospel of Christ is not power in my life just to be able to do something. The power of the gospel is the gospel itself. When you and I hear that Jesus came, who knew no sin, became sin for us in Romans 8 verse 3, for the just, for the unjust, that is very powerful. And what's happening today, and why, is, why are people not excited about their Christianity? Because they are fellowshipping with a culture or in a culture where something has been extracted, and that's the grace of God, the finished work has been extracted why? Because the flesh always wants to control. The flesh wants to control. We, by nature, if you leave us by ourselves, we are going to drift into a path that we can control, that we can predict, and that we can understand, right? And that's what life is all about, you know, preparing for the worst, preparing for impact, preparing. And it's like we live all of our life to try to prepare for something that we cannot control, and that's death. And when we die, we're in a place where... We're in a situation where it's just beyond our control. The, the gospel is what delivers us. It's when I understand that in my, in, my, in my worst state, I am loved by God and that Christ died for me and that the blood was shed. At that point, there's something that changes us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But we don't quote the verse afterwards very often. We say, got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where some people's Christianity, that's where it stops. They don't go to the next verse. The next verse is, 
says, for it is God that works in you, right? It's the grace of God that works in us to do and to will of his good pleasure. Amen? It's God in us. It's the Holy Spirit that's in you that is, makes us new, makes us, that makes us overcomers. It's like we have to, the devil says, hey, you know what? The devil knows the Bible probably better than any Christian because he can memorize it. He's a supernatural creature. He's not all powerful, but he's very smart. And he probably knows the Bible better than you do. But guess what? When you and I stop trying to live our life good ways or bad ways, and we just surrender to God in our Christianity at a cross, then God can take over and he can lead us. All we have to say is just, yes, God. Yes, God. Okay, God, I, I confess to you. This is what repentance is. Repentance is, in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says the goodness of God, the goodness and the forbearance of God, or the grace and the patience of God leads us to a change of mind about our life. Okay? If someone wants to repent, if you and I want to repent of something, and I'm not making this up. These are verses that you can read in your Bible yourself. If you and I want to see something change in our life, I think we can, get, go, to, we can go to Barnes & Nobles or we can go to a bookstore and buy an incredible amount of books about self, self-help and self-improvement. Yes. But there's only one thing that can change our life, and that is understanding this, that Lord, in Romans chapter 6, I surrender to you. I surrender to you in my helpless state. And that may take several years. There are some people, and I remember in Philadelphia, they had, you know, when we ministered in Philadelphia, they had this saying, a lot of people had this saying. They said, well, he hasn't hit rock bottom yet. You know, there's a rock bottom. You know what our rock bottom is as a believer? The everlasting hands of Christ. They never let us go. (laughs) And when we fall and we fall, that feeling of falling, God's going to catch us in, in John chapter 10, verse 28. That he never, that we are never, ever, no man can pluck us out of the hands of God. And that's anthropos. That means no created man can ever take us out. And that means you yourself. Our salvation is so secure. It's, it's on such a great foundation that it can never, ever be moved. Why? Because it's not based on you and I. It's based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection yeah. of the cross. And when we understand that, we, that what we have in, in us, and I'm going to finish with this. This is what you, are, you and I are equipped with. I want to give you a few awesome tools that you and I as a believer have. John chapter 16, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We, we are indwelt in, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 by the Holy Spirit. It's not, a, it's not a spirit of the world. It's a Holy Spirit. It's set apart from this world system. It's holy it's clean, it's pure, it's not cynical, it's not divisive, it's not skeptical. It believes the best in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This spirit is a spirit of grace. It's a spirit of obedience. It's a spirit of sanctification that leads us out of the world. It leads us out of Egypt and into the promised land that God has for us. Amen. This spirit is in you. In, Romans, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23, it says that we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. We live in such an intellectual, technological society, don't we? With no spirit. And when there's no spirit, and, let, and get, get this, when there's no, when you're working with something that's very adept and there's no spirit, and I understand what Michael's saying about his phone, when you are working with something that has no, that has no spirit in it, there's another spirit that wants to try to come in and control that. 
And it's like the ghost in the machine. You ever hear that way back in the day? The ghost in the machine. Well, there is a ghost in the machine. It's a spirit in the machine. It's in Ephesians 2, verse 2. I'm not saying that all technology is evil, but I'm just saying that there are some things that if they're not surrendered to God, not surrendered to the cross, not surrendered to what the Bible says, then another spirit can come in and animate that. And that is and that is something that we need to guard ourselves against. We have the Holy Spirit that's in us, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? We have Christ in us. We have Jesus Christ in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? He is in us. And you might say, well, how is he in us? How does that work? In me? In my body? In my physical body? Like, you know, in my body I have organs, I have a heart, I have a brain, blood, air. It means this. I don't know if you've ever had a dream in your life, something that when you wake up in the morning, you think about it. When you go to bed at night, you think about it. If you've been in love or if you're in love, then that's what it's like. You have It's in you. It's something that is so in you that it's the center of who you are. When we begin to understand how amazing this Jesus is, then we begin to understand that he is worth everything that we have. Tell somebody, say, you know what, you've got you to leave all that stuff and follow Jesus. Well, <clears throat> that's true, but let's first talk about Jesus first. Because if we talk about Jesus Christ and all that other stuff, it's going to fall away. We're going to be like, why am I eating dirty hamburger meat when I could just be eating like steak at uh, Saltgrass? No. I don't know. One of these great places to eat steak. Why don't I just go eat there instead of the dirty hamburger? Because when we look at the real thing, then the counterfeit falls away. Maybe you heard this, but in the... When, they, when, when agents in the U.S. government are being trained to spot counterfeit money, they spend most of their time studying, they spend all of their time studying the real thing. Because if you really can get the real thing clear and understand it very clearly, then the counterfeit just, is, is, is just stands right out. And it's such a blazing thing. Let me just say, I want to say this in closing. We want to have a church, and we're just starting off here, guys. But we want to have a church that's Christ-centered, amen? We want to have a church that's finished work-centered. We want to have a church that's grace-centered. We want to have a church that is not activity-centered. It's not, uh, we don't want to have a church that's personality-centered. We don't want to have a church that's centered around politics or around something else about a culture. We want a church that's going to be centered around Christ because that's when people's lives get changed. That's when change starts happening. And instead of focusing on change, we got to change. We, this has got to change. We've got to do this. Focus on Jesus Christ because if, you, if a man knows who he is in Christ, he's going to know what to do. He's going to know what kind of decisions to make. This is the gospel. It's the solution to every problem. We have the spirit in us. We have Christ in us. What else do we have inside of us? What else do we have inside of us? Let me throw some. What else do we have inside of us? Anyone? We're a new creation, right? We have, a, we have an incorruptible seed in First Peter. I think it's chapter, uh, chapter 2. The incorruptible, in chapter 1, First Peter one twenty three. I think, yes, yes. that it, we have the incorruptible seed in us. I'm going to finish with this. Incorruptible. Isn't that amazing? Incorruptible. There's something in you that cannot sin, that cannot fail, that cannot die, that is perfect. Amen? It is in you and I, and that's who we really are. And the devil says to you, you know, you are your old lust patterns. You are your old ways, you know. And this is what Paul says, that God delivers us from the emotions of past sins. That's, in the, that's, old, that's King James talk. You know what that means? 
in New Talk, in, in today's version, in today's that language, that God delivers us from the emotions of the old ways. Remember the old emotions, the old memories? God delivers us from that because something new inside of us. And that something new has the DNA to grow into who we're supposed to be in Christ. Let's focus on who Jesus Christ is. Let's talk about Jesus. Of course, we need to talk about things, but let's lift up Jesus Christ. And you know what the greatest church, church growth program is in the world? <laughs> Not that we're about church growth, but so many people talk about it, especially in this, you know, in this part of the United States, church growth. The greatest way to grow a church is, the greatest way to see people in your family grow, your kids to grow. Lift up Jesus Christ. Lift up Jesus Christ. Lift him up. Lift him up. Make him great in your family. And I know you guys do this. I know you drive. You know, I, know I hear that you guys, you tell me that, you know, you drive with your kids home and you're talking about Sunday school. And, you know, the Sunday school is synchronized what's being taught from the pulpit here so that people can be on the same page in the family about what they're learning. Let's lift up Jesus Christ. Let's make him great. Because when we make him great, he draws all men to himself. He draws all men to ourselves. What is our responsibility as a church? Make Jesus great. That's the goal of every message, to make Jesus great. That's the goal of every conversation. Did I make Jesus great today? Did I, did I talk about it? Did I lift him up in, in Psalm chapter 18? And i got to finish here. Psalm chapter 18, my soul exalts. My soul it lifts up Jesus Christ. It doesn't say Jesus Christ, but it says lifts up God. Mary said this, my soul exalts in my Lord and my Savior. Let's make him great. When we make him great, everything else in life falls into the right place. And there's so many battles that you and I are facing that we, that we fight every day. They're just, Jesus, Jesus beat them 2,000 years ago. Just surrender your life. And a simple prayer, just say, God, you know what? I'm going to surrender this, this, this personality conflict. God, I'm just going to surrender to you. God, I'm going to surrender this job search to you, God. I'm going to surrender this situation that's unresolved conflict that causes so much pain. And we surrender to God because when we do that, we're anointing his head. We're anointing his head because, you know, we can't anoint his head until we understand how great Jesus is. Mary, who is anointing his head, is not a woman that just got saved seconds before. This is a woman that already heard the message of Christ. She understood the gospel and now she was understanding how wonderful Jesus is. If you come to this church, I can guarantee you one thing or your money back. <laughs> Just kidding about that. I don't know if we can do that. We can, maybe. I don't know. Is that Jesus is going to be great. And you're going to meet Jesus when you come here. You're going to see a lot of sinners here. But you're going to also see how great Jesus Christ is. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's when we're going to see souls get saved and people's lives get changed. Amen? So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you the greatness of Jesus Christ. For all eternity, we'll be singing hallelujah and holy, holy to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. We thank you, God, that before, before eternity be, and before time began and eternity passed, you made the decision that Jesus would come and that he would lay his life down for the repairing of the breach between man and God. We thank you, God, that we have peace with God today because of Jesus Christ, because of what he completed. Lord, we want to focus and grow in who we are in Christ. And that's when, we're going to understand, that's when we understand true sanctification. Thank you, God. That's true sanctification. We begin to grow in who we are in Christ. Help us to make decisions based on who we are in Christ. Let us look at him 
and be so enamored by him that we're changed from glory to glory. And that's when the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Thank you, God, for this beautiful group of people here today. We thank you that you're for us. God is for us. And I want to say this as much as I can. God is for your marriage. God is for your business. God is, God is for you. God is for your personal life. God is for you. And if God is for us in Romans 8, who can stand against us? We thank you, Lord. We pray, God, for people that are here this morning that just have some crushing needs, crushing situations, Lord, that are going on in their life. We pray that you would rush into that situation in the time of need. That's a throne of grace that is that we can run to in that time of need. We pray, Father, this would be a week of just some answered prayer, a week of triumph, a week of victory. We thank you for Easter, the greatest time of the year for us. Christmas is great, it's awesome, but Easter really is our, in many ways, is really a new year. It's the beginning of our, of our year in so many ways. Well, we pray, Father, you bless. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you've heard us talk about Jesus. Maybe you've heard us talk about how wonderful he is. And maybe you in some way agree with that. Maybe you agree and you acknowledge God as, as being sovereign and, and God as being mighty and, mag- and, 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 all, and, and full of majesty. But just this morning, just make it personal. Say, say Jesus, I know you died on the cross. I, I see the pictures. I've seen the crucifixes. I just want to look at him today and say, my Savior, my God, my Lord. And just say that by faith. Just say, okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it by faith this morning. And when you do that, you're, you're giving Jesus permission to walk into your life and just to do some beautiful things. And he will change your life like you did with my friend Tomas in Poland. Bless, we pray the words that we've shared this morning and the remainder of our day in Jesus' precious name. Amen.